Hello and welcome to Questonia, where we ask the questions we think need answering in Estonian news and culture. I'm Stuart Garlick and I'm here with Marius Helvand. We're recording this on Wednesday the 29th of July and the podcast is released on Thursday the 30th of July. Uh, Marius, we've got a lot to get through. How have things been going for you and uh, what have you been working on this week? Things have been um, going really well and I have had a bit of a mix of uh, work and play actually because I... uh, uh, ended up uh, visiting the Vienisto Art Museum over the weekend and turned this into another nice work opportunity as it, as it really is a place that offers uh, such uh, uh, ma- so many layers of different stories. For, for uh, those of you who don't know, Vienisto is a fishing village uh, about 70 kilometers east from Tallinn on the seaside and uh, it is uh, now the the home of um, Jan Manitsky's uh, private art collection that just opened as w- it was a new exhibition there of more than 400 pieces from his collection and um, it's um, it's a fantastic story because uh, Manitsky himself was born in the village and then uh, was taken to uh, Finland and later to Sweden as a baby during during the Second World War. He only returned after 91 and then uh, worked in public service, also served as Estonia's foreign minister and has, uh, and one of his international career highlights uh, was uh, being the financial director of uh, the very famous band ABBA. So now he is, um, Running this uh, amazing uh, art center with a with a beautiful collection in Vinisto, an absolute must. But I hope we get to talk about this one day on this podcast. Uh, absolutely, uh, there are there are lots of uh, incredible art museums around Estonia. But I'm I'm always uh, mesmerized by how you can go to a small village and find something quite so meaningful there. It's it, it's it's really great, and I, I'm also um, constantly amazed by the way that uh, you can um, go out on a fun excursion and find content there. I think that's magic. So keep doing that. Yeah, I I really hope that we can uh, talk to talk to him and uh, talk about Venistu at some point. But All today right. we have. Uh... A much uh, more serious topic to discuss here. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking to Holger Ronema, uh, an Estonian journalist for the daily newspaper Esti Paivalet. And um, can I say one of the uh, one of the country's best investigative journalists as well? He's broken many major stories in recent years. It's absolutely no exaggeration at all. And uh, he's elucidated public understanding of many others. One of the most significant stories, certainly in the past few years, concerned the money laundering taking place within the Estonian subsidiaries of Danske Bank, Swedbank, and other institutions, which led to a total pullout from Estonia for Danske Bank in 2017, along with management changes and greatly increased scrutiny for other lenders. So why are we discussing this now? Well, because the issue has resurfaced. Finance Minister Martin Helmer had enlisted the services of US law firm Free Sporkin and Sullivan LLP in order to provide services to the Estonian state with regard to financial reparations and actions concerning international money laundering. However, it's emerged that uh, the lawyer involved with uh, the case, uh, Louis Free, uh, separately re- represented the Russian company Previzon, a company known to have been involved in money laundering and which was involved in scandals that enveloped Danske Bank in Estonia. 
Estonian public broadcaster ERR reported in Estonian that Helmer said, It is not possible to find such an office, when asked if he'd done his level best to find a law firm not associated with Russian-backed money laundering. Uh, he went on to say that I see no reason to terminate this agreement. On the contrary, that the idea is brought to the table at all rather gives me confirmation that we're on the right track. Uh, questionable thinking there, maybe, but we'll talk to Holger about that. Holger Ronema is one of the journalists who investigated this story for Esti Paivalecht, and we'll speak to him now about what significance this has for Estonia domestically, for its international standing, and for the economy more generally. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. It must be incredibly busy with uh, all this follow-up work coming uh, from this story. And um, congratulations on on uh, de- staying on the story and uh, bringing it out. So, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> just on, thank you. And it really has been like a tremendously busy days before and after publication uh, as well. And we see that the story is going, continuing to live its own life now. Yes, but um, uh, just to make sure that everyone understands what we're talking about here and bearing in mind that um, we have uh, listeners who somewhat know about things happening in Estonia but not but might not be really informed in each and every detail. Could you just describe in very short brush strokes What's the story about? Why is it controversial? And uh, and what are the like four main points? What happened? And why why we need to uh, keep keep this in uh, in mind all the time? Oh yeah, uh, that's actually a pretty tough question to, to start with because it's a pretty complicated story, and we've been really trying to make it easy and understandable because like uh, money laundering and law issues usually are not the, the easiest things to to follow but uh, in short uh, we had a joint investigation with uh, the dossier center and the daily beast in uh, in the states and we focused our investigation on the law office uh, free spoken and sullivan that the estonian government recruited for at least three uh, for at least three million euros to represent Estonia in the United States in issues related to money laundering. Uh, as probably most of our listeners would know, that uh, Estonia has been involved in major money laundering scandals over the last few years, because like Danske Bank and Swedbank have been caught like facilitating large amounts of uh, suspicious or dirty money that's been uh, coming in from, uh, from some countries and going out uh, here. So, in short, uh, what we discovered is that uh, Louis Free, who is the main partner of this law office that Martin Hellman, the Estonian finance minister, hired, that uh, he has only recently also represented a Cyprus a Cypriot company named uh, Prevazon Holdings. And Prevazon Holdings is kind of a notorious company in, in the money laundering world because it was uh, suspected of laundering uh, uh, millions of dollars of the so-called Magnitsky scandal money. And uh, in turn, uh, several millions of that money flew exactly well. Uh, yeah, flew exactly through Danske Bank Estonia, which, uh, as we see it, uh, constitutes a conflict of interest. And we think that uh, Estonian government uh, should stay out uh, out of uh, contact uh, with Louis Free because two years ago he was representing one of the most notorious uh, alleged money laundering companies in the states. 
and now he's in, helping Estonia in investigations uh, but are still looking into exactly the same dirty money flow uh, through Estonian uh, banks. So on one hand, there's this potential conflict of interest that uh, Free doesn't admit. And I understand from your reporting that you haven't really had a had a, a proper comment a, apart from a, a denial in spite of the uh, court documents that you have uh, presented. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really, I don't know, curious uh, aspect of, of his story. But even though our reporting base is based largely uh, on uh, official uh, documents from U.S. prosecutor's office, uh, which uh, I quote to say that uh, Prevazan Holdings retained Louis Free to represent the company. Where we have emails uh, where we where we can see that the U.S. prosecutors emailed Louis Free and telling him that you have until four o'clock this afternoon to respond to our final offer regarding Prevazan Holdings and so on. Uh, regardless of all of this, for some reason Louis Free decided uh, to claim that he has never represented uh, Prevazan, which is just not true. And I'm simply like dumbstruck. I don't understand why he's, uh, he's, he's denying that. Like, all the public documents say that, but he has been uh, representing uh, Prevazan holding and, and the rationale behind it. And the names that appear in this uh, in this investigation are truly mind blowing. I mean, the the, the lead up to uh, the Russian lawyer Veselnitskaya and up to the Trump family members, it's uh, it's just uh, reads like an incredible political thriller. Yeah, privacy um, holding is at the same time it was like a huge criminal case in in the states. But it was also it turned also into a political case because the, the original um, attorney or, or yeah, the, the lawyer for Prevazan Holding was uh, the Russian lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya, and Natalia Veselnitskaya is famous for attending the, the summer 2016 meeting in the Trump Tower, uh, where she met with uh, Donald Trump Jr., with Paul Manafort, and then with Jared Kushner. Uh, and allegedly, uh, the motive for that meeting was that uh, she was offering uh, uh, black info regarding uh, Hillary Clinton at that time uh, on behalf of the Russian government. And as well as later, when already the US prosecutors were, uh, were investigating Prevazan Holdings, it came out that uh, when the Americans approached the Russian state and asked for help, it, it appeared that uh, it was Natalia Vesenitskaya herself who actually helped draft uh, the official Russian government response to it to the Americans, uh, where the Russians said that actually Prevazan Holdings is, is an okay company, there was no crime, it's not stolen money, it's not laundered money, but forget all about it. And because of that, uh, Vesenitskaya was also indicted personally in, in the States. So uh, what does the, all that mean for Estonian state? I mean, we have uh, Minister of Finance, Martin Helme, being extremely um, secretive about this uh, contract, about this whole deal. He has uh, so far still, uh, as at least I haven't heard um, uh, anything uh, on the contrary. He has so far, he's keeping this deal secret. Nobody, no MPs, no parliament members, no other politicians have seen the contract. What's in it for him? Why does he do it? <laughs> I don't know why does he do it. <laughs> it's a good question. I, I hope you will uh, ask him about it. But like, if you ask, what does it mean for Estonia? I think that 
Estonian government should have been extra cautious in getting into a contract with Louis Brie. Uh, I don't know if this situation represents uh, like a legal conflict of, of interest regarding like American bar regulations and the codes of ethics as such. But what I am confident about is that uh, for Estonian government, there is a risk regarding Louis Free because of his earlier connections to Prevazon and the same bunch of people uh, who are believed to be large-scale money launderers, uh, which were misusing Estonian banks. And still in Estonia, we know that the investigations are ongoing, and now the same Louis Free is asking to get access to Estonian uh, criminal investigation data, and I don't think it would be safe to hand uh, hand him uh, such data. And also, we need to take into into account the possible um, like uh, public image uh, aspect of it. Um, I have a suspicion that uh, when the knowledge is out there that Estonia is being represented uh, by someone uh, with, with such connections and such history, I don't think that a lot of Estonia's uh, official partners in this investigation would be willing to continue sharing their information with us. Holger, if I can uh, come in with a couple of questions, just uh, spinning off your answer there. Um, one is, um, obviously, the government works on public procurements in a very long and drawn out way, which go, um, goes through many sign offs. Um, how was this allowed to happen? And uh, what was was Helmer pushing this? Um, and uh, also a linked question again, to what extent does uh, potentially offering uh, state information or having a relationship, at least with a compromised lawyer like this, um, lead to a further compromise for national security down the line. Um, Estonia has a security service called CAPO. Um, presumably, they will have had documentation saying that this was a potentially bad deal. Uh, did it not get to Helmer, or did he ignore it? Um, first of all, uh, starting with the first question, that um, there was no public procurement. Uh, there are some exceptions how the state can, uh, can form contracts. And if you want to make a legal uh, legal contract, uh, you can do it without public procurement, which means that we even haven't been able to see uh, the initial documents according to which only three uh, American law offices were invited to take part of the so-called competition. Uh, and it also means that none of the other documents is automatically public in, in the procurement uh, registries or, or anything like that. Now, I've been foyering the finance ministry uh, like crazy. Uh, we've been uh, in the argument for more than three weeks now. Uh, and so far, they've denied all of my all of my FOIA requests. So we even don't know the exact terms according to which uh, Louis Free should be working here. And as far as I understand, also the, the Ministry of Justice hasn't seen uh, the contract, even though uh, they have been asking the Finance Ministry uh, to, to get that. And for some reason, they haven't so far been able to see that. We know that the Estonian Embassy in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, was asked to uh, provide uh, with background information about the free law offices. I don't know how much time uh, they were left to, to do the background search. I understand it wasn't much, but we basically were only able to, to Google around and do a bit like the same search as, as I was doing, as, as we were doing. But you found something they didn't. I haven't seen the embassy report. I'm hoping that the foreign ministry would actually make it public. I think that would be really helpful. 
uh, I understand that we, that the security services, be it COP or be it the foreign uh, intelligence agency, probably they were also compiling some kind of uh, background documents. And I presume and I believe that they actually were forwarded to, to Martin Hellman. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't know about it, but uh, that's the that's the normal way of uh, things happening. Um, and what we don't understand is uh, why didn't, didn't Martin Helmer care about it? Uh, again, I can only suspect. I think that the names, like the former FBI director uh, Louis Prier, the former head of uh, Interpol, who is also in the same team, I think the lure of being able to name drop and to be in the same room with uh, such guys, to give press conferences, be on uh, on photos, etc. Et I think that was just too tempting for him that uh, he's uh, maybe trying to make it also like his political campaign here. It looks very much like a political game and as uh, so often it's uh, it's a win-win if it uh, if it doesn't turn uh, turn out uh, uh, with the result um, he's promising he's just blaming the deep state again and everything will be fine with his supporters at least. And I wonder about how would you comment on his reaction because that has been quite heated. He's usually quite poised and can uh, can at least um, keep his uh, spelling right. But uh, mm. uh, in this case, he's uh, he's just uh, rolled out the whole populist paranoid vocabulary from deep state to Trotskyist conspiracies to Estibaval uh, being biased and. Uh, bought by people involved in money laundering, at hominem attacks, etc. Um, where does this come from? Have, have you hit really a very vulnerable spot with this story? Yeah, like the truth is that we tried to get, to, to get his comments uh, since Wednesday last week and we only published uh, Tuesday this week, so he had a lot of time. But he wasn't interested, neither he nor his uh, political advisors who were uh, allegedly working to get the contract, uh, they were not interested to actually uh, talk to us and to, to give any like, reasonable answers. So they kind of knew what was coming and they had time to prepare. Uh, what makes me surprised exactly is the same, but how uh, shaken he seemed to be when we finally did run the story. I mean, in his first Facebook post, I think he wrote like Louis Free's name, like in three separate ways. Yes. Uh, and uh, what I was a bit surprised is that he was bringing back the deep state uh, terms. He hasn't been using that deep state uh, term for like some time now because he is the finance minister. He's one of the most powerful people in Estonia currently. So who is this deep state that he's talking about? But to say that that's an attack from the deep state, well, I don't understand. Well, what it makes me feel is that he's following his own PR tactics that he... Uh, that he taught in London uh, last November when he was actually coming back from uh, from New York, where he first met with uh, with one of the law officers who who he still hasn't revealed. Anyway, he attended that far right uh, conference mm -hmm. in London and uh, talked about his uh, way of dealing with the public and the three uh, three phases of it were to escalate, uh, provocate, and improvise. And I feel that that's exactly what he's doing now. <laughs> 
it seems from what you're saying that there is a lack of attention to detail here on behalf of uh, Helmer and on behalf of people around him. Um, is this a recurring trend, would you say? Because uh, without going into the other uh, instances where we've seen it, we have seen a number of policies being rolled out and then rolled back over the last few weeks and months, which uh, seem to suggest that they weren't properly thought through or at least not properly vetted by a lawyer before actually uh, being, being, uh, being floated. Would you say that that's a recurring trend right now? I think it's absolutely true. Uh, I think that the Estonian government uh, is working in silos. And I think that the top management, uh, the political management of the finance ministry is working in a silo. I don't think that the officials in, in the finance ministry were too well aware with uh, what's going on. I think it was purely the solo of Martin Helme and uh, two or three of, of his uh, political uh, advisors. Uh, what I don't believe is that, uh, unfortunately, that this contract would be easy to, to backroll. Uh, we haven't seen the terms of, uh, of, of how, to, uh, how to exit the contract uh, earlier, uh, but I would suspect uh, that the terms for such exit uh, are pretty, pretty strict, if not impossible. I, I presume the fines for Estonia would be, would be huge. Well, anyway, you have succeeded in um, in uh, getting some movement into it. Um, as I understand, the, the government office has been asked by the prime minister to look into it and to uh, to uh, find out if there is indeed a conflict of interest. Yeah, it has been a trend in Estonia that the prime minister or, or other ministers, they, they don't know what's happening and they are ignoring like uh, serious uh, questions uh, which demand like serious answers. Uh, I think that uh, too often, unfortunately, the weekly government press conferences have turned into a charade that there are just like some politicians who like to talk the, the, the air full of uh, meaningless, pointless, uh, like uh, thoughtlets, but they don't answer the questions like in a substantial way. But now, and, and I, I really do believe that the Prime Minister wasn't like aware with the details. I think that the Prime Minister didn't know anything about Prevazon, anything about uh, such possible uh, conflict of interest. But now the first piece of like good, the first like kind of good sign is that today the Prime Minister announced that the government office will actually start an analysis of the whole situation. And again, my hope is that we don't focus on the, on the American regul regulatory side of uh, conflict of interest, but the conflict of interest that Estonia as the client should be aware of. Um, obviously, I'm asking a fairly loaded question here. Is this something that uh, people should expect from a government, that the Prime Minister does not know what his finance minister is up to with contracts? In a normal government, uh, maybe like we can't expect the Prime Minister to be like... Uh, up to details with all the contracts that any of the ministers are signing. Uh, but in case of like critical situations uh, and extra important contracts, I think that the level of awareness uh, should be higher. But that, again, I believe is the way the current government in Estonia, of Estonia is, is working, that uh, every minister, every party has its own silos and that the other politicians have a part this uh, don't like to put their noses in, in it. To be fair, we must also say that this um, whole huge money laundering issue is of course something that has a stretched back into the past decade. It's not something that was uh, 
that happened under this government and that was uh, uncovered under this government. Nevertheless, this is the, the major international image issue of Estonia. It's, uh, it's, it's way more, you can't, it's a damage that is, can't be repaired with some uh, new digital uh, development easily. So obviously it, it does require the utmost attention of, of the government at the highest level and can't just be done in, the, in such a murky, non-transparent way. Don't you agree? <laughs> yeah, it's hard, hard not to agree with you, but of course it's uh, the issue of uh, Estonian money laundering. It's like a highly critical one, and it has been now for the last three or four years. Um, and as you said, correct that uh, the money laundering, that uh, well, the flow of dirty money, let's say, uh, uh, started to go through Estonian banks already in the 1990s, in the 2000s. But it, but it became a real issue starting from 2007 and then onwards. Uh, during that time, uh, Martin Helmer's uh, ECRA party even didn't exist yet. Well, uh, its predecessor did, but it had nothing to do with the Helmer family. Uh, so it's good politically for him as well to come and start making order, putting order into uh, into a mess that the previous governments have allowed to happen in Estonia. But I'm not uh, just sure that if it's a one-man solo, uh, that's actually the best way how to do it. Exactly, it's not it's not ideal to solve one mess by creating another one and uh, now blaming all these um, sort of a uh, uh, dark. Uh, bought people um, behind um, and conspiring behind uh, behind your story even is not really helpful. <laughs> yeah, um, I really hope now that, that something is starting to happen, that at least we managed to, to bring it out into daylight, but there is a problem with, uh, with hiring the law office. Uh, secondly, there is a problem with uh, how dark it's all being kept, how secret, uh, secretive it's all being kept. And uh, third of all, uh, a third set of uh, problem that we even uh, haven't started yet to uncover is the whole construction of Estonia as a victim and the hope of getting, quoting uh, uh, Martin Helmer again, uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of euros in damages through, through the American uh, process. But, uh, a lot of experts are highly skeptical about uh, any chance uh, of that happening. Well, yes, and um, I, I also wonder if the Danske Bank and, uh, well, Swedbank money laundering issue in the first place, and that was under a previous government, a Reform Party-led government, that uh, the issues began to arise. To what extent did that speak to a general laissez-faire climate of if nobody's looking, then it's okay? I think we we did a first story about uh, this so-called Magnitsky scandal money, uh, partly going uh, through Estonian banks. I think we published in 2013 or, or maybe 14, uh, and we mentioned in the story both uh, Swedbank and uh, Danske Bank. But the real, uh, real uh, scandal broke out in 2017 when it was the OCCRP and uh, the Danish Papers Berlingskes uh, investigation, which actually uncovered the, the whole extent of uh, dirty money going through Danske Estonia. Why was it allowed to happen? I think. Uh, Estonia surely lacked uh, resources uh, in their financial intelligence unit, in financial supervisory authority, 
uh, on the prosecutor's uh, letter, etc., and in uh, in the laws to actually combat uh, and to be aware of such things. And I also think that internationally, money laundering issue became much more uh, serious and in, into the uh, limelight uh, only after 2014, when when Crimea happened. Uh, which doesn't, which is not an excuse uh, for saying that everything that happened before Crimea was like kind of okay. No, it wasn't. The European uh, anti-money laundering directives uh, were in set already like since 1990s, and the third AML set of rules became uh, obligatory for European Union states in 2007, uh, which were pretty pretty harsh ones already at that time. Uh, but in short, yeah, Estonia definitely lacked the resources, the know-how, and also probably the, the, the desire to, to actually do anything about it. And it's not that uncommon. It's not actually, it's not anything, it's not like an Estonian specific problem. We see the same in uh, Latvia, we see the same in Lithuania, uh, Cyprus, Malta, uh, involved like. in huge, uh, huge scandals, uh, money laundering scandals, etc. It's like a European problem. But now, because of the extent that uh, Danske got exposed, it has turned into a Estonian problem. I want to know what the long-term impact you feel of this and um, um, on the back of that money laundering story from uh, from years previously, um, but this story in particular, what the impact of this will be. And um, also, uh, with the focus of a lot of economic policy across the EU being on curbing money laundering and uh, the Estonian National Audit Office saying, I think, today that uh, it's too easy for a criminal to become an e-resident, what do you see as the future for that programme as well? And uh, does it have a future in this new anti-money laundering uh, climate where it's very difficult for a foreigner who doesn't have a link with Estonia to open a bank account here, for example? Um, yeah, first of all, like the impact of, uh, of his current uh, case. Um, I think the impact will definitely be visible in the professional circles. I don't think it's like international public uh, impact will, will be anything like, like uh, that significant. But in professional financial uh, law enforcement, uh, political circles, I think the, the impact will be felt. Regarding the, the e-residency audit, unfortunately, I haven't had time to fully read it. But the e-residency program already like suffered because of the same money laundering scandals as well, like two or three years ago, uh, when all of the banks suddenly... Uh, made it extra difficult for anyone not from Estonia to open accounts. Uh, and that's why the residency program uh, started to, to suffer, uh, which now I'm afraid uh, will uh, suffer another blow uh, because it's also like politically, uh, a politically close uh, topic to, to ECRA party as well why they are not like fans of e-residency residency policy uh, program. So we will see now that there is also a reason to start curbing down the residency I'm actually a bit worried about it. We've covered uh, most and uh, more and uh, very, very grateful to have you on and explain that uh, in English. <laughs> we should let you get on with this, uh, with this work and it's uh, going to be exciting days coming up yeah uh, let's see what will happen yeah thank you so much and uh, really good to speak to you yeah thank you thank you for listening to this episode of Questonia you can subscribe to the show on Spotify Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio we'll be back on air in a couple of weeks time bye for now bye